Okay, so Yair, do you want to just tell us what we're looking at over here? Yeah, we are looking at uh, posters of uh, people who were kidnapped from uh, Kibbutz Berry on October 7th, 2023. And uh, you can see all of their pictures. And um, yeah. Is your family here? Yeah, my uh, uh, sister and niece are right there. That's Raya and Hila. Yes, Raya and Hila wrote them. And then the candles? Candles is just uh, to, to, to remember the people who, we also have many people who died, of course. So we have, to, we have about 80 people who were confirmed uh, dead already. So candles are also for them and I guess also for the missing people. Okay. That's Yair Rotem. Yair is 42 and he's from Kibbutz Beiri, that small, once tranquil, pastoral kibbutz that I visited a few weeks ago along the Gaza border. He was on the kibbutz on the morning of October 7th when it was overrun by Hamas terrorists, and he's going to share his story with us. But before we sat down to record his testimony, he took me on sort of a tour of the David Hotel, a luxury resort on the shores of the Dead Sea that's been turned into a temporary home for close to a thousand of the survivors of the Be'iri pogrom. After leading me through the entrance of the hotel and showing me the pictures of the hostages and the memorials to the murdered, he led me downstairs to the hotel dining room and conference area. But this actually looked more like some kind of bustling department store than it did a resort. Room dividers delineated a makeshift kindergarten from a medical center and an art studio from what looked like a goodwill store. In one corner, medications and bath supplies neatly lined some Ikea shelving, and next to it, a few teenage girls sat on beanbags in what felt like a little music room with guitars and drums. Women were getting their nails done in the improvised salon, and therapists were meeting with children and adults. Israelis have come together like never before. Volunteers from all over the country showed up here on October 8th, and many hadn't left a month later when I arrived. The greatness of the Israeli spirit was on full display in this Dead Sea resort. So most of the kibbutz people were evacuated to uh, the Dead Sea, uh, to a hotel here, between October 7th and October 8th. And basically the whole community is here and we're trying to help each other. We try to uh, have communal life uh, here in the Dead Sea. Uh, we have lots of volunteers coming and bring it, bringing so much stuff to us. There, there were mountains of clothes and food and everything we need in the first uh, few days. And until now, four weeks later, uh, the donations are keeping on coming. Maybe just uh, tell us what's going on down here in the, in the lobby or the, the bottom floor of the hotel. So this floor, the whole area here, in the first two days or three days after we came here, from the kibbutz, it was all full of donations from people from Israel, uh, mountains of clothes, of uh, food, uh, toys for kids, everything you can imagine. Just people, uh, independent people came here and just brought a lot of stuff. Uh, nothing was uh, donated by the government, only private people. What's, what's this over here? This? So here there is a um, special area for uh, specialists uh, dealing with uh, post-traumatic um, problems, PTSDs. 
and um, basically it's open 24 hours to whoever wants to come and talk to them. In the first two weeks it was full of people here the whole time. Now it's more relaxed but still people are coming and uh, looking for people to talk to. These are therapists that have come and donated their... their yeah, therapists. Uh, a lot of them came, um, just donated from their own time, uh, totally uh, volunteering. There are also um, hairdressers who, are, who come and donate from their own time and cut people's hair for free. Also people who come to do nails. Everything. People are just coming. There are tattoo artists that come here and everything. People are just dealing, uh, are, people are just giving whatever they can. It's also amazing because it's, to get here is basically at least a two-hour drive from anywhere, anywhere in Israel. Yes, people are just coming from wherever they are, bringing whatever you ask them to, to bring. They just told us, tell us whatever you need, we'll bring it. I was eager to sit down and do my interview with Yair, which is why I had come down that day. But I felt I needed to wander a little bit and speak to some of these incredible people who had dropped everything to be here just to support the community of Be'eri. My name is David Ross. Um, I'm here with Israel. We've been here since almost the beginning, helping the different kibbutzim and the different communities with different needs as they arise. Most of them are around uh, the topic of education and like sort of trauma therapy with, with children and parents together, creating what we call child-friendly spaces. So we have people there with games and just helping them process or just play as they need to but being supportive. We've also gotten truckloads and truckloads of donations. Um, we don't need more donations, just to put that out there, but um, it's required a lot of logistics of just organizing them. We had somebody donate uh, like hanging racks and, and shelves to make it look nice and appealing for people to come in a dignified way and just get whatever they need. Obviously it's all free. And we are also, so we've been setting up the Ganim, the kindergartens, and now schools. And Israel specifically is buying tents for these schools that are going to be placed outside of the hotels because people are being told they need to be here for a minimum of three months. Okay, it could be longer, probably won't be less. Kind of depends on how many kilometers away from the border these communities were in. But the most hard-hit communities have been told that they need to be here for several months, which means we need to establish infrastructure here for schools because we're in an area for tourists where there's no schools set up, right? So that means we're buying big like party tents and setting up schools inside, buying tables and chairs that are fit for different size kids, um, all kinds of games, helping with the, again, with the education. We're not providing teachers, but again, we're providing um, the context and support or training for people that will be teaching. Um, basically helping out wherever wherever we can. Israel is an organization that normally works abroad in disasters, humanitarian relief around the world. Um, and besides for some activities around Corona a couple of years ago, this is our first real major mission in Israel. So I have my own private business, my own life outside of Israel, and they called me a few weeks ago to help run the mission here. So I'm specifically here at this uh, Hotel David, um, helping to run the operations. But, but you live in America still? Or no, no, you? no, I live in Israel. I've been in Mid Aliyah about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Say your name and. Hi, uh, my name is Daffy, and uh, this. Uh, it's hard for me to in English. Um, I don't know how you say Amuta. Uh, a non profit uh, organization. It's called uh, Amen. 
Uh, it's a women organization and basically we give treatments for the people who was hurt in the 7th of October. It looks like I see massage tables. Are you doing massage and physical therapy? Or? A massage, acupuncture, um, yeah. And you're a volunteer here? Yes. What made you come here to volunteer? I'm a therapist. I wanted to be part, to give, to give part, and basically it's just for me to make me feel better about everything. Thank you so much. So, can you just tell us your name and, and what, what's going on down here? Um, wait, it's a really big question. <laughs> uh, my name is Adi, Adi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And uh, what's going on here? Like most of the people that came from Barry um, just live here right now for, uh, I think, something like two months. Yeah, we just live here. <laughs> and I see you're, you're, you're sitting here at an easel. You have a picture of somebody. You're drawing and you're here with some other friends and you're all drawing pictures. Who are the people that you're drawing pictures of? Yeah, we're doing like a memorial for the people that uh, got killed. Yeah. So who's this, this man right here? Uh, this is Eitan Haddad. Um, he's one of the Kitat Konanut, I don't know how to say. And they told us to choose someone that is not really close to us because otherwise it will be too emotional. Uh, and he's a really cool guy. And he, like, saved a lot of people. Yeah. You're, you're an amazing artist. No, I'm not. Cheers. This is my niece. Hi, wh who are you drawing? <laughs> Who's that person that you're joining? You can say. You don't have to. It's okay. <laughs> also, uh, one of the people in Berry. His name is Igor. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're volunteering here, or you just came to be with your um, niece? All of my... I'm a, like a bad kibbutz. I don't know. I, I was born in the kibbutz, and I left a few years ago, but all my family and friends are here. Yeah, so I came to be with them. Thank you. Eitan Haddad, the person that Adi was drawing, was a 43-year-old member of the kibbutz's first responder squad. He was murdered by terrorists in a fierce battle that took place in Be'eri's medical clinic after fighting courageously, together with his fellow first responders, for many hours against dozens of terrorists in a desperate attempt to save the home that he loved so much, kibbutz Be'eri. Now, Yoer, who had been waiting patiently for me as I wandered through this unforgettable scene, motioned for me and led me to a quiet room off the lobby where he began to tell me his story. This is the story of Yoer Rotem, his sister Raya, his niece Hila, and Hila's friend, Emily Hand. Okay, so I'm Yair Rotem. I'm uh, 42 years old. I'm from Kibbutz Berry in Israel. And I was in Kibbutz Berry on the Saturday of October 7th, 2023. Um, I, I grew up in the Kibbutz. Um, I love the Kibbutz. This is my home. I left for 12 years because I was living in China, actually. I was studying and working there. And uh, when COVID started, I decided that I want to go back to kibbutz. And um, I also convinced my uh, wife uh, to come to live here with me in Israel. 
and she came from China and she loves the kibbutz and uh, we're going to live in the kibbutz. Okay, so it all started around 6.30 in the morning of October 7th. Um, I woke up from the sound of um, explosions and, uh, you know, in the beginning you're not sure what is happening and really fast you understand that it's uh, rockets. And then uh, we got a message in the... It's a like application for the, all the kibbutzes. So it says uh, there is a penetration, possible penetration of terrorists from uh, Gaza to Israel. And please stay in a, in a safe room and don't go out. And then you start to hear from other uh, groups about things that are happening. So you start understanding what is going on. I don't remember everything is blurred you know I, we kind of you kind of lose the sense of time when something like this happened so what i did is i went to my safe room and um, my instinct was to hide inside the uh, bed we have this kind of bed uh, like double bed that opens so what i did is i took everything from inside the bed i folded it and i put it on the bed and then i I lay down inside the box and said, okay, if someone is coming, uh, I'll just leave the mamad door open and I'll hide inside the bed and it will look like no one is home. So even if the Hamas uh, terrorists come, they will think that no one is home. I'll only close it if I hear some Arabic or people trying to uh, open the door because uh, it was pretty hard to breathe inside. It was pushing against my chest. So I said, okay, only if I hear noises, then I close it down. Hopefully they think nobody's home and they will leave and then I, have to, I can go out. But it's risky as well because, you know, if they try to check if someone is inside the bed or try to uh, establish a headquarter there, then I'll be in trouble. Which, uh, it's not uh, totally imaginary because it did happen in some homes. They did stay there for a long time, ate, watched TV, drank. Uh, put their weapons there, so it, it might as well happen in my home as well. Were you alone in your house at this time? Yes, I was alone. My uh, wife was not in Israel, luckily. My parents already passed away several years ago, so they were not in the kibbutz on, on October uh, 7th. Sometimes I think uh, maybe, maybe it's for the best for them to not be alive when something like this happens in the kibbutz. I'm glad they didn't go through it. Okay, so um, tell us about what, how you spent that time and what you were hearing outside and what you're finding out as, you're, as the day is going on. And then um, tell us about your family on the kibbutz. So as I was lying inside the box, inside the bed, uh, I, looked, I checked my phone like all the time, basically. The, the messages doesn't, didn't stop. Uh, arriving and uh, the voices you hear are just uh, horrifying, you know. Uh, mainly in the kibbutz group, but also in other groups, you can see all kinds of messages basically saying uh, they are here, meaning Hamas terrorists. Uh, they're killing us, they're burning us. Um, please go to that person's house and that person's house. Um, uh, they're burning us, please come, and basically everybody's just calling for help and uh, no help is coming. People are saying that the terrorists are near their home and I know their home is, pre is pretty close to mine, so it kind of makes you nervous. 
And of course, I'm staying, staying alerted also to voices coming from uh, houses near where my sisters live. I have two sisters in the kibbutz. So I checked on them and uh, they were both at home. So I have one sister who is single and lives in her own apartment. And some damage was also done to houses near her. And I have another sister called Raya who was at home with her daughter, Hila, who's 12 years old, and another girl called Emily, um, which is nine years old, and she's a friend from the kibbutz. And she was staying the night at uh, their home on Friday night, and she was then with the, in the mamad, in the safe room. Can you tell us what happened um, to your sister and her daughter and their friend? I tried to check on her every maybe half an hour, and I was trying to also save the battery on my phone, so I couldn't send messages the whole time. As in some points they said, uh, we're okay. At some points she said, uh, the girls are trying, uh, starting to be afraid. Um, and around 12 o'clock, I think it was 12 and three minutes or two minutes, I sent her a message and I said, is everything okay? And she, she made like this, okay, emoji. And then maybe one minute after, uh, she said, they're here. And um, I thought, who is here? the army or the terrorists and she didn't really answer and one minute after she sent me a message and she says I'm being kidnapped the only thing I could say is like I, I wrote what with a question mark and that's it uh, she didn't see it. she didn't get the message the message that was the time that I last heard from her 12 p.m. and five minutes and yeah, basically noontime, and in that time there was still a lot of fire and uh, murdering and kidnapping in the kibbutz. So the, arm, the army was basically not there. Do you know anything else about what happened to her, or do you have any way of a confirmation that she has been kidnapped? Did the army tell you anything with certainty that she's in Gaza? For several weeks, we didn't know what uh, happened to them. Uh, we thought maybe they're dead. There are some rumors of people who said uh, they saw they're dead, but uh, we didn't get any confirmation for that. So we, we kind of didn't believe it. Um, but as the time progressed, we started to get indications that they're kidnapped, also because uh, many bodies were recognized and uh, they still didn't find uh, any uh, body who has their DNA. And also their phones were located in Gaza Strip. Actually, the phones were located in Gaza, it doesn't mean anything because I have people who are here in the hotel with me and their phones are in Gaza Strip because many people just came to Gaza and stole things and took them to Gaza. But then we started to get indications from the army that they are in Gaza and they're being held by Hamas. So basically we know now that uh, Hila and um, my sister are uh, kidnapped in Gaza and uh, um, the suspicion is also that Emily is kidnapped in Gaza as well. We're not sure about it. As for the question if we want to go to the, to the kibbutz or not, I love the kibbutz and my, my wife loves it and we do want to live in the kibbutz. If it's not safe to live there, I don't think there is even a question because why would you want to live in such a place if it's not safe? If it's safe, it's a heaven. 
you know, it's, it's a perfect place to live. I loved it before, I love it now. You know, what, what will be later when the army leaves and the war uh, ends, it still remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, can you share with us the emotions that you're feeling right now with everything that's happened to you? Of course, we are very worried about uh, my sister and my niece. We don't know if uh, they're okay, meaning if they're injured or not. Uh, in what emotional state they're at. So I'm very worried about that. Uh, every, second, every second I think about uh, I mean, how exactly are they, uh, where exactly are they hel being held right now? Uh, do they sit down? Do they lie down? Do they have people to be with? Uh, these are the questions that I'm dealing with. And also I'm wondering um, what will happen when hopefully they get uh, released in what uh, emotional state and physical state physical state they will be okay Yair, i want to thank you for taking the time to sit with us today and um as you know i'm sure you know you're not alone the whole world is together with you praying for your family to come home and praying for all the hostages to come home and please god we'll we'll start to hear good news soon so thanks for thanks for spending time with us today thank you for hearing my story interview with Yoer took place on November 5th. Yoer's 12-year-old niece Hila was released on Saturday, November 25th, 20 days later, on the second day of the temporary ceasefire. Only in clear violation of the deal under which Hamas committed not to separate mothers from their children, her mother Raya was not released with her. The next day, speaking from Sheba Hospital where Hila was being examined, Yair said, Hila returned without her mother, and that is a clear violation of the agreement with Hamas. We demand from Hamas and the mediators that Rayabi returned home as they agreed immediately. Four excruciatingly long days later, Rayab was finally released on Wednesday, the 29th of November, one day before the exchanges ceased. Emily Hand the nine-year-old girl from Kibbutz Be'iri, who was having a sleepover with her friend Hila on the morning of the attack, was initially reported as having been killed in the Hamas invasion. Emily's sister, Natalie Hand, said in an interview, We were told that she had been murdered. We were in mourning, she said. Then, on October 31st, they told us it was highly likely that she had been abducted. Emily was, in fact, abducted with her friend Hila that morning, and... Thank God she was released with Hila on the 25th. I reached out to Yoer to see what he could share with us about his sister and his niece. Hi David, how are you? Sorry for the late reply. Um, just life has been hectic recently and uh, so I apologize. So um, when we found out uh, Hila was on the list to be released by Hamas. We were really excited, of course, but in the same time, we were uh, confused because Raya was not on the list. And uh, that was uh, very strange because Hamas said, and the, agree the agreement said that uh, they're going to release uh, 
kids with their parents. They're not going to separate kids from their parents in captivity. Hamas said they will release her later, but you know, nobody can be sure. So we're really worried. And we were afraid that they're not going to release her. And we also were afraid that, uh, you know, the ceasefire will stop for some reason. And then Hila will be in Israel and Raya won't. Uh, also, on the day that Hila was released, uh, it took them a lot of time to um, to release them. It was supposed to be uh, late afternoon, and then it got delayed uh, by Hamas, and they said Israel uh, is uh, is not uh, uh, I don't know is not transferring the 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 trucks with fuel with gas to Gaza or something like that. Anyway, it, it took a lot of time. It was really nerve-wracking, and in the end, it happened, and Hila was released, but she got to the uh, border crossing really late, and uh, we were waiting for her there. It was really exciting to meet Hila. Uh, I was very happy to see her. Um, she was healthy. She is healthy now. We went to the hospital, uh, where she was hospitalized for a series of uh, checks, make sure she's okay. And we're happy that she's fine. We were really happy to see Hila and to hold her. And we're really happy that she's okay. But the next several days were really nerve-wracking because we're not sure what is going to happen with her mother, my sister, Raya. So every day was like uh, a really, um, it was really tense. Uh, we were waiting for the list every day and uh, for several days she wasn't on the list and we were really sad about that and we didn't know what to do and we kept Hila in the hospital because we didn't want to move her to anywhere else be before her mother comes back if she comes back so finally um, uh, four days after Hila came back uh, her mother Raya was also on the list to be released on that day and also that day it was really nerve-wracking because uh, it got delayed for a long time as well. And in the end, Raya got released about uh, really close to midnight, I guess. And she got to the hotel, to the hospital, maybe around 4 a.m. where we met her, and uh, she saw Hila again, and she saw all of us, and it was really an exciting moment. Raya and Hila are both doing well. Uh, they're healthy, considering what they've been through. Um, they seem physically and emotionally fine. Uh, of course, uh, you know, we need to wait for some time to pass because on the emotional side, you don't know what they carry with them from that time where they were in captivity. Um, so it's, it still remains to be seen. We are already outside of the hospital. Uh, we are in a hotel in Tel Aviv, and later we will join the rest of the community uh, near um, the Dead Sea in Israel. This is Israel Take Three, and I'm David Began. Help us to share these stories with the world by subscribing, liking, and sharing this podcast. Thank you, Ellie Margolis, for consulting and for logistical support, and thank you, Adam Margolis, for this musical outro. We will continue to share these stories as things unfold here in Israel.